Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, friends. Hope all is well with you and yours. Thanks so much for checking out the Calgary Today podcast. In this week's installment around community building and positivity, we'll talk about hoodies for heroes, rice for seniors, face masks for city workers, and helping Alberta. But we'll start this week's episode off talking about a part of the economy near and dear to my heart, agriculture. A Facebook post written by Kim Dukesher earlier on in the week went viral, explaining the trials and tribulations her family farm has seen. And it's not just from the COVID-19 pandemic either. Whether it's grain or cattle, it's been a rough ride, and her note highlighted the importance of the industry in many ways. This is the Calgary Today Podcast. The story in the news over the last couple of days around McDonald's Canada starting to import beef over supply concerns amid COVID-19. It has led to a lot of backlash, especially in rural parts of this province, because there is still a boatload of cattle out there and they're not catching very good prices because obviously you can't have auctions. You can't do the things that you normally do. And it led to what has turned into a viral post from our next guest on Facebook. Her and her family uh, farm in the Leduc County area. Kim Dukesher joins us now on the program. And Kim, did it take you by surprise at all at just how much traction your post has gotten so far? Yeah, it um, it is, like you say, barely 24 hours. I think I checked, the last I checked, it was over 1,000 shares and there was 25,000 views. And um, I, I'm not even sure how many comments. Like, I've just been sort of replying to comments on it a lot. So it, it's the power of social media, obviously. It seems as though it came from a bit of a, a place of frustration, anxiety. There's a lot of emotion in it. Give us a little bit of a snapshot of where your head was at when you wrote it. Um, Yeah, it did come from a place like that. And I guess I sort of have to apologize to a lot of my friends and family. I had a lot of people reach out to me just yesterday to make sure that I was all right. And mm. it just was one of those spur-of-the-moment things where I was like, I'm so frustrated. It's so late at night, but I really... I don't know how else to get my point across here. It seems like nobody's listening. And usually when you attach a picture like that to something, people pay attention. So, um, yeah, we're just, it's what we're dealing with as farmers right now. It's it's really difficult. It's really difficult to, to kind of wrap your head around. I know people are, you know, if they go to the grocery store, they sort of see that there's a bit of a shortage and, and they might not really understand the whole process. But, but in actuality, it's like we have so much, we have so much product that's readily available, but it's just it seems to be bottlenecked right now. And and the frustration was was really high, like I said, when I put that post out. So was that the biggest issue in, at top of mind was sort of the just the the lack of awareness, I suppose, around some of the trials and tribulations that farmers are going through right now? Yeah, I feel like um, it, it was sort of it, it, <laughs> it was very focused. Like the post was very focused at that moment on um, our animals. Like we farm about 200 head of cattle. And then we do the 2,500 acres of hayland and grainland combined. We're just sort of East of the Edmonton airport. Um, and so my post was, was basically about our cattle, but it, the frustrations that farmers around this province and even like I could extend that to Canada, Western Canada. Um, I know for sure. We even know some people that are in sort of Southern Ontario that, that feel the same way as us. Um, 
it's been going on for years. It's not just because of COVID right now, but because of COVID, uh, the, everything seems to be, all industries, I guess, are sort of shutting down. And, and I'm, I was trying to keep that in the back of my mind, but these problems have, um, like we talked about before, you know, with your families and farming as well, these problems have been apparent for a very long time. And as you outline in your post, one of the biggest points of contention right now is just that the prices that you're getting now, which are much lower than they were a couple of months ago, are not necessarily matching up with the prices that are happening at the storefront. Yeah, that's and that's sort of what's frustrating me, I guess. And um, I mean, I don't I don't know 100 percent how the whole process works. Like we we raise our cattle. um have our we're calving right now spring is usually calving for uh, most farmers that we know anyway we calve in the spring the babies are born they go to pasture all summer Um, we feed them in the winter and then they're sold as yearlings like the following year and so when they're that size they're they're about still three months out from maturity and and usually what happens at the auctions they're bought by feedlots producers and then they're fed out for the next 120 days Um, and then that's when they go to production and then that's when they're able to be picked up you know, by the grocery stores. So we, um, what we have here is we're seeing a huge drop, like because of recently, because of all the, um, the Cargill plant and the XL plant, I know once in High River and one is in Brooks, they've closed because of COVID exposure. And because those plants have closed, it's basically put a halt to the industry. So what I was really frustrated about and sort of alluded to in my post was I was out on my weekly COVID shopping trip. Um, I shopped for my parents, my in-laws, um, aunt and uncle, because they're, they've been told to stay home. They're just elderly. They're at risk. Um, and so I do the shopping for them, but I noticed that the, the, the coolers are so they're, they're empty basically, but the prices are rising mm-hmm. and, that could obviously be supply and demand, you know, with the, the production centers are, are all closed. There's not a lot being produced to go to those places. But the price, if the price is increasing in the grocery store, that money isn't coming back to us because we are seeing record lows right now at the auction. Like we sold calves two weeks ago and on the way there, my husband got a heads up phone call that uh, two weeks before that they were selling for almost $2 a pound. So mm-hmm. uh between $1.80 and $2 a pound, it just depends, I guess, on the animals that go through. Like, that's sort of subjective. But then when he got the phone call, everything was selling for $1.10. And the week after that, um, the prices dropped to around 80 90 cents. So we're we're seeing prices that are low, low, low for us. Like we have, we've never, we haven't seen prices like that in a really long time yet. They're still increasing in the grocery store. And I feel like a lot of this is just, everybody's going to point the finger at COVID, but the truth is that this has been going on for a long time. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but you're also dealing with the costs, which haven't necessarily gone down either, whether it's for medications, whether it's for, I know you went on a parts run this morning. I mean, none of those costs are going down at all. No, Absolutely not nothing. And the only thing I can say, and it is, again, because of COVID, is the price of fuel. The price of fuel has dropped substantially. And that's another thing that's really hurting the um, the economic scene in here in Alberta is the oil and gas sector. Like, that's huge. Oil and gas and farming is, is basically what Alberta is all about. So, but everything else is increasing, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and people will, you'll just see an extra tax added on to things like there's a shipping tax or a trucking tax or a, a surcharge or, and and what what are you supposed to do but pay it like we can't we go in there and 
a lot of our, we run John Deere equipment, so we buying parts for that, and there's some sort of an upcharge for something. It's like, well, what's this for? Well, that came down from head office or something, and they can't do anything about it. So we have, we have no choice but to just pay it. And it's, like you said, it is so frustrating. We're still, we're out here needling calves, and we're, and you know, with in spring it's difficult when there's freeze thaw it gets hot cold hot cold and all the water baby calves can get sick so easily out there in the water they get something called scours so we try and prevent that with with good vaccines and electrolytes and good feed and dry land for them but all of those efforts they they cost and they cost us money and we're not if we're not able to sell our animals for for what they're worth to us like we've we've kept them for the past year and and pastured them and everything and that was one thing last summer that was so difficult like we had such a difficult summer we had such a difficult harvest and a difficult summer even making hay but one bonus that we had was that all of the rain we had in our area the grass just kept on growing and Mm -hmm. so all of our calves that were pastured they had such good feed for such a long time when we brought them home that they were almost like compared to the two, three summers previous, they were bigger than they had been. And we were thinking to ourselves, yes, like there's one bonus. We, we were bringing these calves home and they're bigger. They're going to have better weight on them. They're more muscular. Like they had a really great summer when, when they were out. And now all of a sudden, here we are and the market's tanked and and we're going to be getting nothing for them. Like it's just, how are we, it's so difficult to even try and plan ahead for anything like this. This post does have a couple of swears, so I will PG-13 it a little bit here. This is about to get real. I'm so tired. This was me last night covered in mud, crap, sweat, tears. It was after 10 p.m. and we just finished our day. Two sets of twins, one day apart, all six animals to the barn to make sure they're okay. Needles and electrolytes to sick babies, bottles for the four orphans. Then we find two dead babies out back and no explanation for that loss of life and I broke down. Days are long and every year they get harder. At the end of every season we say next year will be better but the problems we're facing are extrapolating and we can barely keep up. I don't feel like our industry is being appreciated by the decision-making bodies either. Food processors are in their gratitude speeches about essential services right now, but actions speak louder than words, and we're not seeing any action from them. A day before this, when I did my weekly COVID shopping trip, I saw empty coolers for product that we have readily available to sell. I saw prices rising for you, the consumers, yet in a time when these necessities are needed most, they've dropped to record lows for us, the producers. It's the opposite of supply and demand. I can't wrap my head around it. Where is that extra money you're paying going? Certainly not to us. Our costs have not dropped either. Meds, vaccines, materials, land, rent, uh, insurance, machinery, it's all just as high or higher than it used to be. I'm not asking for money. I don't expect a payout. What we need are securities in place. Place that guarantee the risk we take all year long will pay when the time comes to sell our animals and commodities. We have seed, fertilizer, and land rent to, to pay for in the next month. Right now, we can only afford two out of three since we're still feeding all the cows that should have been sold last month, but can't sell and lose the profit we fed out all year long. We're stuck. She goes on to promise uh, that Alberta farmers will bust their rumps day in and day out to keep our communities fed. Kim Dukesher wrote that, and it's gone viral on Twitter, or on Facebook, pardon me. And Kim, you brought up a really interesting point there. You're not asking for a payout. What you're asking for is a little bit of attention to your uh, to your industry. No, that's exactly what I'm. What my my whole point of all of this is, and like I said, I'm sorry to any of my family and friends that I may have upset or. Um, 
worried with that post. But the whole point is for it to everybody to see it. Like I want people to see it because I just want this to be, I, I want this to somehow be um, rectified. Like there's, we have, we producers, all the producers, we have all of, we have all of the, we have everything in this province that we could need. Like everybody would be fine. We, we have enough and everyone's always pushing sustainability. We would be able to be sustainable in this province with especially things like meat and, and grain. And I know that's not entirely what it is, but Southern Alberta has a lot of vegetable farms too. Mm-hmm. It's just that there's so many regulations that are in place and, you know, like we, we aren't able to run a feedlot at, at our operation. Like we don't have the space. We don't have the time. We don't have the money. We don't have the feed to give to the cattle to, to extend them that three months in order to start selling like B to C directly to the buyer. Cause I know there's a huge push for that too. Consumers want to be able to come to your farm and buy everything right off of your farm. But we, we aren't set up for that. So these are sort of, and, and I know a lot of other people that aren't quite set up for that either. Um, we would need to, change a lot of things in order to make that happen what i'm hoping is it's something like this like two plants two plants in alberta closed down and it's basically bottlenecked the entire industry just because of of what's happened at those two plants like do we need to start looking instead of having two huge plants maybe we like the government looks at having smaller um not even local butchers but something sort of in between that would be regulated where we could take our sell our animals there like just so that there's more there's more places in order to fulfill the needs that we have because i know there's people out there that need this meat all the local butchers in my area they're booked up for six months if you phone one and you have like you've got a i i just spoke to my cousin in saskatchewan she's got a 4-h steer she needs booked in she's trying to find a butcher in her area to take it they can't get it in for four to six months so then in four to six months they, they have to feed it the rest of that time uh and if you've sold it to somebody else then they're going to be waiting four to six months for their meat like there's a backlog and something needs to be done about it kim i appreciate your time thank you so much for shedding a little bit of light into what's going on in your neck of the woods thank you so much for having me joe i really appreciate it here in Western Canada, and they've also teamed up to form Mountain Life Apparel, Brock and Bo Montgomery, both of Moose Jaw, uh, now calling the Calgary area home, and they created Mountain Life Apparel, and they've launched a new one called Hoodies for Heroes. Brock joins us here on the program, and give us a little bit of a snapshot as to what these hoodies are all about. So the Hoodies for Heroes campaign that we started, um, it's with uh, my company that uh, my brother and I have, Mountain Life Apparel, and we wanted to just start something uh, kind of fun for people to have a way for people to donate. So the Hoodies for Heroes, um, you can purchase a hoodie, and 100% of those proceeds are going back to the Calgary and Energy Food Banks. And you can purchase a hoodie for yourself, and at the same time, you can also purchase one for an individual and uh, we'll be donating those hoodies to frontline workers here in the Calgary area. And I understand that the the heroes themselves are pretty near and dear to your family's hearts as well. Yeah, exactly. So we wanted, I mean, there's so many people right now in the world, right, that are doing such amazing things. 
and we wanted to kind of touch base on just stuff that hits home. Uh, my father is the fire chief back uh, in Moose Jaw, and my brother's a member of the Calgary Fire Department. So we really wanted to focus on the front line, the healthcare workers in that retrospect. And, I, and again, I, we know that there's so many different people in so many different areas, and we hope that they're also getting uh, the, the support they need as well. But that's where we chose to focus our attention at the time. Where did the design come from? So we just kind of worked on that together and kind of thought of, you know, hey, the Canada logo and put the the nurse up front and center. And we kind of just, you know, bounced some ideas back and forth. And then we had a friend of ours take care of the final design for us. What does it mean to the two of you to be able to give back in this kind of way? Yeah, it's really nice to be able to give back. And and I mean, again, it's thanks to everyone that's contributing. It's It's beautiful to see in times like this. I mean, if you have a platform of any time, or of any type, I think it's great if you can use that as a positive. So we wanted to just, you know, again, create that positive thing, a, a little bit different way for people to donate as well. And it's it's amazing to see the support from everyone and just, you know, see the community come together like that. And to be able to already reach our goal of $1,500 to give back to the food banks is amazing. It, it, it's just, it just, you know, credit to everyone for the support. And again, it's just a small uh, donation, right? But we're just trying to do our part and I think everyone is and that's that's what's that's the nice the the positive that can come out of I guess this negative why the food banks yeah I think the food banks is I mean that's a pretty self-explanatory one I think it's it's really important right now I think they are kind of getting neglected also getting overrun with you know people that are you know going to be hungry right now and that's one of the most the major things is you know being able to eat in a time like this so I think uh being able to support that is just something that we're really happy and fortunate that we we thought of that one to you know make sure we could put our money towards that. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. I mean, both of your names uh, pretty synonymous with the world of junior hockey, particularly. How did you both end up getting involved in in this particular company and deciding to go this particular uh, career route? <laughs> That's a good question, actually, and it's funny too because we're from Saskatchewan, the, mm-hmm. the flattest of the flattest of places. So we, <laughs> I was. We, I spent a few a few months in a little cafe, and I was I was actually playing in New York at the time. So I was sitting there, and Bo and I would FaceTime back and forth. And we knew we always wanted to start a company of sorts, and we weren't a hundred percent sure. We had a love for the mountains, a passion for the mountains, and creating community. So this is what we came up with, and we just want to try and grow a community of like-minded individuals and. And uh, it's a pretty pretty new company, but we're working on it and uh, trying to grow it every day, day by day. So it's something fun that we can work on together. Kind of keeps us close when we're when we we're at a distance with uh, being separated through hockey. And I got to ask the other question: What took you to Indonesia? <laughs> yeah, so my girlfriend and I's crazy idea. We uh, jumped over here to do some. Uh, some yoga training, and then we went and did some uh, volunteering at a uh, school over here. Shout out to Sumba Hospitality Foundation. There, uh, it's an awesome foundation over here, doing some doing some great things. So we ended up coming over here, and we're uh, kind of stuck here now. <laughs> for more information on them, you can go to Mountain Life Apparel. Brock, thanks so much for joining us here on the show this afternoon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Joseph.
Josephine Sang is joining us now. She is the chief executive officer for the Calgary Chinese Community Service Association. Uh, Josephine, you guys are up to something pretty special here. Two metric tons of rice being delivered to uh, Calgary seniors vulnerable over the next coming weeks here. Uh, give us a little bit of a snapshot as to what else you've been up to. Uh, this is uh, uh, providing uh, uh, food necessities and rice packages to to the seniors community. is a is a brand new initiative for uh, Calgary Chinese Community Service Association, also known as uh, CCCSA. Uh, however, CCS, CCCSA uh, is an organization, is a charity uh, that has been uh, established for over forty two years, and uh, we are an organization that provides. Uh, uh, all Calgarians um, that might be experiencing some system barriers uh, to make sure that they have the support that they need. So in essence, uh, providing supports to seniors is not new. Uh, providing food support at this uh, during COVID is a new initiative. And not only is it being something taken upon by yourselves, but you have some pretty fantastic mm -hmm. partnerships coming along as well for the ride. We do, and we're, uh, CCCSA is grateful to have a collaboration uh, with Alliance of Calgary Community Ethnic Support Society and also Calgary Chinatown Lions Club. Um, and this, you know, this initiative would, would not be possible also to have some funding uh, provided by the Government of Canada's New Horizons for Seniors program. Uh, you know, the, the Government of, of Canada has been, uh, you know, thankful that they're they're giving us the flexibility uh, to uh, reallocate our funding in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And you've been pretty busy already, 190 rice packages just in the last couple of weeks here. Give us a little bit of a sense of, you know, the, the gratefulness and gratitude that people have when you're delivering these things to, to seniors' doors. Uh, you know, it, it warms my heart. It warms my my team members and also our volunteers' hearts to see um, to see how excited our, um, our 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 seniors, vulnerable seniors, are. Uh, we, uh, due to safety reason, we want to make sure that we are uh, protecting uh, the the very group of people that we're we're trying to to help uh, healthy. So. Uh, you know, the past few times delivering rice packages, we've been working with uh, the building managers and 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 our team to make sure that uh, we're not um, introducing potentially introducing COVID to to the community. So at this point, we've been uh, just delivering the the packages uh, at the doorstep. So we haven't, I guess, physically been able to to witness how excited the seniors are. However, we've we've heard many many wonderful stories. Um, as to to how thrilled they are to to have rice packages delivered to their door. I mean, those rice packages are are not they're they're actually quite heavy. I mean, I, we mm -hmm. could do some some uh, weight training accordingly, <laughs> and uh, and uh, the fact that we're able to uh, provide uh, rice packages almost at their doorstep. So first of all, they don't have to go go out and and uh, you know endanger their their health uh, to get rice, and um, and also they they don't have to 
do all the heavy lifting. So it's uh, it's it's a win-win for for everyone. And uh, for us, you know, we're we're grateful for the frontline workers. We're grateful to to the medical professionals and all the officials at all levels of government and other organizations in the community for stepping up to keep all as uh, uh, safe and and healthy. And this initiative is uh, is for for CCCSA and and the other two organizations are our way, one of our ways to give back to the Calgary community. How impressed have you been with staff, volunteers, business community, everybody kind of coming together with this one goal in mind? Uh, you know, uh, it's it's a humbling experience to to be uh, part of this community, uh, to be to be uh, leading this organization. Uh, uh, I joined uh, actually. I started at CCCSA as a CEO on March 11th. Uh, that was also the day when uh, when WHO declared COVID-19 uh, as the pandemic and. Boy, oh boy, uh, you know, uh, my team, my board members, all the community me- uh, partners have, have come together. Uh, as you said, ha- having this common goal in mind is to continue to protect uh, our everyone in the community and keep everyone healthy and in good spirits. And, and for that, from that perspective, I'm humbled. We're humbled to be able to be part of this conversation. It is a fantastic one, Josephine. Thank you so much. the desk yesterday about a couple of businesses who have decided to pivot just a little bit and they are suppliers of the city of calgary and one of them happens to be alberta garment manufacturers and president adrian Busley joining us here on the program you adrian were supplying the city with what prior to covid19 well prior to covid19 and we still are to be honest with you we uh, are the, um, the have the tender and the supply of all the uh, outside uh, maintenance uh, staff that uh, do all roadways and everything else, coveralls, uh, overalls, all workwear related products for all the city of Calgary. And we've been doing that since 2016, and we'll continue for another year under contract. So we we've been primarily a workwear safety uh, company in the past. We're still doing this for the city of Calgary, but now we are doing more for the city of Calgary. That is delivering uh, cloth face masks. Was that a difficult transition for you and your team to make? Well, it, it, it was. We're fortunate. We're fortunate that we had the equipment that could do the product. Uh, we've got uh, quite uh, sophisticated equipment. Our staff have been in the business a long time, and. It, t- it took a few weeks to just uh, come up to speed with uh, with uh, the product, uh, but uh, now that we uh, we are, I mean, it's uh, it actually t- went relatively well, and now uh, you know we're doing that for the city, and we're looking at other products like gowns and other kinds of things that other people outside the city or within the city may still have a need for as well. So, Give so us- but. Uh, yeah. But, but that's uh, we, we've we've actually ramped up pretty fast in about four to six weeks. It's pretty impressive. Give us a bit of a snapshot as to the kind of production you're able to output on a day-to-day basis. Well, we've been able to in the last uh, since we started shipping masks do about uh, seven to eight thousand a week, and that's just wow. starting. 
So uh, initially it was about 1,000 and, and 2,000, but now it's gone up to in excess of six, and we'll be going up uh, uh, more to eight and and uh, and uh, nine thousand a week, and 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 the reaches is uh, going, uh, our masks are going beyond the city as well. But the city has been ordering product on a phase-in basis, and we've been meeting that need. How impressed have you been with your team and and the ability to adapt to these uh, trying times? It's been really positive. We've been really nimble, and I think uh, that bodes well for us and also our associate companies that have helped us do this our staff, uh, our designers, because we have to have these things designed and digitized so we've been able to respond uh, quickly. And so there are various kinds of roles there that are played out. One is the design of masks, and then the other is the cutting and, and, and assembly. So our group have been uh, pretty, pretty, pretty professional. And uh, and that's uh, that's in keeping with... Uh, and still doing that while we're maintaining protocol with respect to the manufacturing plant, uh, honoring uh, the social distancing within the plant. And uh, we don't have, right now we don't have visitors come to the plant. We don't have customers physically come to the plant. Uh, we just basically are working within our our our, our, our uh, layout and uh, and and protocol. So it's been very very. Um, I would say impressive for us. We're pleased. That's got to mean a lot to you as well to be able to give back to the community in the way that you are. Well, yes, I, yeah, it uh, it bodes well for the community. We're like we've had uh, people who have given us uh, independent of the work we do for the city, but along the mass, we've had uh, n- numerous people donate fabric that we then have used. Like for instance, uh, uh, one uh, rock product uh, company. Um, uh, has uh, bought product that they're donating to the Calgary drop-in center. So they bought 500 masks. We've made it at a discounted price, like at a cost price, and they've mm-hmm. paid the cost price, but they're donating those masks. So it's really cool to see um, uh, what people are, are doing. So he, they bought for their own needs, but they also then bought extra that they are donating to the Calgary drop-in center. Fantastic stuff. Well, Adrian, keep up the great work, and thanks so much for shedding a little light into what you guys are up to. Well, thank you very much for acknowledging uh, not just ourselves, but people that are uh, doing the same kinds of things and helping out. Absolutely. Adrian Boussoli is the president of Alberta Alberta Garment Manufacturers. Everett and Melissa Lamott joining us here on the program. They are co-founders of HelpingAlberta.com. And give us a bit of a snapshot here, ladies, on what HelpingAlberta.com is all about. So Helping Alberta started about a month ago. And uh, the catalyst is essentially when Brianne and I came together and kind of looked at the situation with the pandemic emerging and recognizing that we might have a need for more personal protective equipment, being masks, gloves, et cetera, to protect the front lines who are currently out there serving the people who might be contracting the COVID-19 disease. So we thought we would pool our resources, look around and see how could 
we get the community mobilized to help us source as much PPE as possible to support our front lines, um, especially recognizing that this is probably going to be an all hands on deck type of initiative requiring a lot of work from different groups, um, not just within our government agencies, but also within our community. Talk us through the connection aspect of it, how you're able to make that connection between those who can supply and those who need it. So what we've done with Helping Alberta is we've created a, a single point where industries or individuals who have something to give um, and that could be either money to support the purchasing of protective equipment or actual protective equipment um, they're coordinated to, to come to one place where we then um, pool those resources and then work with a very uh, large group of volunteers to make sure that it's going to the places that need it the most. So what that's involved is that we've been doing an ongoing needs assessment where we are getting a sense of where in Calgary and Alberta more broadly, people and frontline workers, um, and including essential workers that are caring for people that are um, vulnerable, where they need protective equipment, where there is a gap. And then what we're doing is we're triaging, sending that equipment out as it comes in, either based on those donations or based on the money that we're using to purchase uh, more equipment, we bring it to the places in, in need. So a lot of the work that we've been doing is is just coordinating the logistics around uh, bringing in and, and putting out that equipment as, as it comes in to make sure that, that it's going to the front line as soon as possible. What's the uptake been like? Oh, wow. That has been, it's been big. Um, I think what we have realized is there's a need for PPE on a lot of different types of front lines. So the first instinct everyone had was the healthcare side. And, you know, we can certainly say there's been a lot of mobilization there within, you know, our own um, government agencies and whatnot. Um, But another area that is often, you know, kind of overlooked just in general by by you know the world often is our vulnerable populations like our homeless uh groups for instance um even also you look at the statistics to date with where we've had the most outbreaks it's been in the vulnerable um in particular with long-term care facilities so since we've started um if there was an area that probably had some of the most demand and the biggest impact we could make it was certainly in that area and that's been something we've been actively pursuing um quite a bit so you know looking around um the vulnerable you know can include shelters like the calgary homeless shelter the women's shelter the alex um you know that's just in our city alone this also goes beyond just calgary but also you know places like edmonton and now you know where we have outbreaks like in high river there's a lot of different groups that could really benefit from this personal protective equipment in particular the ones who are serving the vulnerable Melissa Lamott and Brianne Everett are the co-founders of HelpingAlberta.com, kind of bridging some gaps in the system when it comes to PPE and other things. You can go to HelpingAlberta.com for more information. We've been talking a lot about people buying in, but uh, Melissa, you wanted to give a little bit of a shout out here. I'd like to kind of give a shout out as well to our donors. Um, So many of them have varied from, you know, the small mom and pop shops to some very unexpected but generous companies such as Princess Auto. Um, 
it, it, none of them ever seemed to have come to us thinking that, you know, there was anything in it for themselves. It was purely just trying to do what was right and helping because they could. Um, and, you know, even there's been some smaller scale contractors who, like Brianne said, you know, they had a, a small box of N95s. They've come by. Um, I think something like that has really just shown the generosity of people and, and understanding you know, that there are areas where everybody can get involved. And so I think we also do want to mention, you know, we're very grateful to the donors who've come forward to date. Um, it's It's been very heartwarming as well. That is Brianne Everett and Melissa Lamott over at HelpingAlberta.com. And again, a giant shout out, whether it's for organizations like that that are just starting up or as you've been hearing through the course of the, the day today with uh, the Foothills Hospital Home Lottery is an example. I mean, there's so many things that people are getting behind in droves to try to uh, improve our community. So as I said, right off the hop, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the Calgary Today podcast, as well as on the show daily on 770 CHQR. As always, thanks to executive producer Mike Tarasco and technical producer Matt Ayer for helping keep the show afloat. And thanks to all of you for downloading and listening. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating and review to help spread the word about the podcast. We'll see you again next time here on the Calgary Today podcast. Much love to you and yours.